Life is a one-time offer. Use it well. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of Under the Call of MS, MS Deep Dives, Part 2. We didn't get to get through all the stuff I wanted to talk about, so we're going to catch up to it now. Peter's kicking, so hopefully I can speak above it all. It won't interrupt it too much, but see how it goes. For individuals with clinically isolated syndrome or suspected MS but who have not yet been diagnosed, a brain MRI with gadolinium should be performed at baseline. Follow-up brain MRI with gadolinium should be performed 6 to 12 months later for individuals with high-risk CIS, those with two or more lesions in the first MRI, or 12 to 24 months later for low-risk CIS, those who had normal findings on their MRI. For individuals who have been diagnosed with MS, a brain MRI is recommended at the following times with gadolinium-based contrast, advised in most instances. When no recent MRI images, imaging is available, following a pregnancy to establish a new baseline, or before beginning or changing a disease-modifying therapy, and approximately 6 to 12 months later to establish a new baseline, every 1 to 2 years to assess subclinical activity with inflammation occurring in the brain but without any outward symptoms, and every two to three years for individuals with a stable disease, and with worsening symptoms or when the diagnosis needs to be reassessed. A spinal cord MRI is recommended for individuals who show symptoms that may be related to the spinal cord, such as myelitis or progressive myel myelopathy, an older age of MS onset is another consideration for a spinal cord MRI. Okay, so I've been reading way too much today because my vision is totally disappearing. I am reader. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting one. When using a brain MRI for surveillance, Surveillance of progressive multifocal leukin EML, for individuals taking things like Tisabri, Natalizumab, the following timeframes apply. For individuals who are serum JC virus antibody negative, a brain MRI is recommended at least every 12 months. For individuals who are serum JC virus JCB antibody positive and have been on Tisabri for more than 18 months, a brain MRI is recommended every three months if high index and every six months if low index. Now, I tested positive for it and when I came to my new neurologist and he suggested to Sabri if we weren't going to stay on Ocrevus but then after the MRIs and stuff he decided to keep me on Ocrevus at the moment 
would have rather went to Tooth Savory, but also got to worry about the brain brain bug bursting thing. The PML positive or JC, JCB positive. All kinds of wonderful things that we gotta try and correlate through. Gadolidium based contrast agents do accumulate in the brain and to a much lesser degree with macrocyclic agents, certain gadolinium preparations. While there is no known CNS, central nervous system toxicity, these agents should be used judiciously, recognizing that gadolinium continues to play an invaluable role in specific circumstances related to the diagnosis and follow-up of individuals with MS. The CMSC states that the use of gadolinium-based contrast agents is helpful but not essential for detecting subclinical disease activity is because new T2 lesions can be identified on well-performed standard MRIs. The exception is when a large T2 lesion burden obscures new T2 lesion activity. Basically, quit shoving that damn contrast in me every time. Where are those damn MRIs? I don't want it, so it's easier for him to read the things. MRIs done with contrast help distinguish new disease activity from old scars or healed lesions. The FDA has found that contrast agents can be retained in the body for long periods of time, leading to leading the FDA to include warnings on gadolinium agents. Whether retaining gadolinium in the body causes any specific harm, however, has yet to be determined, of course. <laughs> ah, bastards. In some instances, when evaluating MS disease activity in the brain and spinal cord, the benefits of using these contrast agents outweigh the undetermined risk of the agents being retained in the body for a longer period of time. Without contrast agents, evidence of current disease activity often cannot be viewed on the scans. Another potential safety concern with having an MRI with gadolinium is the possibility of being allergic to this contrast agent. This small percentage of people, researchers found that having an initial reaction is more common in women and in those with allergies and asthma. Luckily, I haven't had to deal with any type of reactions from it. Yeah. First time is always a charm. Got to see how your body reacts to these things. They are fine for us, but you know damn well. We're going to find something in the future that they're causing. For this reason, appropriate pre-medication with an antihistamine or systematic corticosteroid should be considered for anyone who previously experienced a reaction. Hives were the most common reaction and occurred in 91.1% of 
of those who experienced an allergic reaction, anaphylaxis, severe allergic reaction, I guess an anaphylactic shock, is less common and occurred in 9.8% of those having an allergic reaction. The contrast. So yeah, we just take our chances, see how the outcome, what happens to it. I'm looking at your brain scans and stuff, symptoms associated with lesions in the brain and stuff. In more of the front part of the brain, those things can cause cognitive issues and reduced emotional control. Back in the cerebellum, that can cause tremors, problems with muscle coordination, tremor ataxia, problems with muscle coordination. Uh, in the upper part of the spinal brainstem area, uh, sensory symptoms, numbness, burning, etc. Proprioception, pos position awareness can happen from lesions in those areas of the brain. Lower front above the brain stem, there's the bulbous area and the top of the brain stem, those areas can cause bladder issues. Uh, the bulbous area can cause diplopia, which is double vision, vertigo, dizziness, dysarthria, is difficulty with muscles used for speech. I'm having problems with right now. <laughs> uh, MSAA MRI Access Fund is available if you need help with payment of the crani cranial brain and cervical spine, upper back magnetic resonance imaging. MRI scans for qualified individuals who have no medical insurance or cannot afford their insurance cost. You can visit the MRI Access Fund page at mymsaa.org backslash MRI, or you can call 1-800-532-7667, extension 154, and see if they can help you out. That's another major cost with our disease. Uh, aside from cost, other challenges are also involved. For example, lying quietly on a metal table while images are obtained can be very difficult, especially if the damn room is freaking freezing. Uh, can't stand it. Some of these hospital rooms areas, just they're so damn cold. Going to muscle spasticity, shakes, all that. Patients with back pain or spasticity can experience pain and stiffness from the hard table and the lack of motion. And you can be in there half hour, hour, two hours. Take a toll trying to stay in that position that you're not used to. Most MRI tables have a weight limit of 350 pounds. An occasion body shape or size prohibits the MRI even at lower weights. The tight space can be difficult to fit in for some shoulders or abdomens, but more commonly causes more commonly causes difficulty due to claustrophobia, 
Muscle relaxing can sometimes reduce the pain and stiffness associated with lying still on the table. Many people feel panic or anxiety in the closed space inside the MRI, even without having experienced claustrophobia previously. For those with anxiety during an MRI, anti-anxiety medications may help. Learning to practice deep breathing, relax relaxation techniques, or medication may increase one's tolerance of being in a small place. Despite their limitations, open MRIs offer an alternative for people who cannot tolerate closed MRIs. Wide bore or short bore design, which can help to fit larger patients up to 500 pounds. In some cases, can help individuals to feel less claustrophobic. Uh, you can the tightness, the pain. Uh, it's just I don't know how some people. Some people say they take a nap when they're in an MRI. I do not know how the hell they can do that. I cannot. There's no way. Wake up and just see yourself in that tube and probably freak out and start kicking away and trying to get out. According to a large study, only about 12 people out of every 10,000 receiving gadolinium as a contrast agent have an allergic reaction to it. Many MRI centers offer special headphones that allow the patient to listen to music during the procedure. Listening to music assists in blocking the banging noise and the constant beeping and stuff like that. Helps the patient to relax and can also make the time seem to go by faster. And they're also trying to talk to you through the headphones. Easier to hear them through the headphones than through the microphones that are in the chamber. Kind of freaked me out the first time with a headphone just because instantly thinking there's got to be something metal in here it's going to go shooting through my brain but no you don't have to worry about that they got these set up decent they know what they're doing they do the tons of these every day so speaking with the physician who ordered the mri is the best way to learn learn one's test results the ordering physician is the one to best determine whether results are concerning or routine most imaging locations will provide a CD with stored MRI images on request. These can be extremely useful to bring to any new neurologist or imaging locations so older images can be compared to newer ones. This is particularly helpful when someone with MS moves to a new location, changes providers, or switches insurance and ends up seeing a new provider or has imaging at a different location. I get copies of every one of my scans, MRI scans, x-rays, CT scans, I don't care. Anything I can get a copy of, I go into their records department at the hospital or wherever I got it done and I get a copy of it for myself. I like to look over them myself so I can see where the spots are because a lot of times Neurologists won't explain things to me the way I want them to. So I get to compare them to my earlier ones and stuff like that. And it's nice, and that way I have them if I move out of state, go on vacation, get in an accident. I have all that stuff with me instead of people trying to find it, get it. So.
while challenges exist with the cost and inconvenience of getting MRI monitoring for individuals with MS, this technology provides enormous benefits, clear images of changes in the brain and spinal cord without any need for radiation or invasive procedures, offer the opportunity to see whether an MS medication is working effectively in our bodies. For the present, MRIs allows for a window into the brain and spinal cord with a clear view of disease progression, new inflammation, and treatment effect. This window into multiple this window into multiple sclerosis can help optimize treatment and help make effective disease management decisions to limit the impact of our multiple sclerosis on our bodies our futures. Yeah, MRIs are highly important. You know, we gotta keep up with them to at least see what's going on. I don't like the fact that we gotta do, well, that I have to do at least one yearly. Sometimes more if I'm having issues, it'll require an extra brain MRI or I try not to tell them about issues because of that, which is stupid also sometimes. But they are very important and helpful to us. We should make sure we get those if they really aren't. I mean, the thing I liked about that information stuff, I found out things that make me feel less like I'm going to end up with a bunch of cancers and stuff like that because of getting these MRIs constantly. I still get nervous because the one I had two MRIs ago when they were doing the spinal part of it, uh, there was something hopping. Well, actually, I can't remember if that was my, my MS MRI for my spine and brain or if that think that might have been my heart MRI, which they all, that's what always made me nervous because I have to get a nerve for my neurologist. He wants an MRI every year, at least one for brain, brain and usually brain and spine every two years. Uh, but now with all my gait issues and stuff, he's going to probably do brain and spine every year. But I also have to get an MRI every year every year or two for my heart because I had an aortic dissection which I ripped a hole in the bend of the aorta which is a in an inoperable area so they can't repair it but I can rip it open at any time and bleed to death internally and it has gotten larger so that means it has tore open and each time the scar gets a little bit bigger as it heals itself. If I'm lucky enough to have it heal itself, because I was supposed to die in the Mayo Clinic when I spent two weeks in the intensive care unit in Rochester, Minnesota. And for some reason I walked out of there, but yet any minute, any day I could rip this thing open. I'm not supposed to do lifting heavy stress, but yet how do you work out? How do you live? 
how do you do <laughs> live life and get around without doing any lifting or working out or movements that could cause issues so you just can live with it like the disease itself of ms and deal with what comes from it and just hope like hell that you don't do something that does rip it wide open uh, still got a little time left in here, so let's look at, a lot of us are still trying to get healthy the new year, or a month in, month and a half in, and some of us hopefully are still going strong, but a lot of people start to drop off, but you get the late night munchies and you want some healthy snack ideas, you can try tart cherries them and their juice make an idea of late night snacks since studies suggest they may help you sleep better you can try those out uh tart cherry juice i heard was really good for me so i started picking that up when i could find it uh banana snacking on a banana dipped in almond butter may help increase your body's melatonin levels to support a good night's sleep all that for only about 165 calories. That's not too bad. The fuzzy little kiwis are light, satisfy, satisfying snack that's rich in vitamin C. Two peeled kiwis pack only 93 calories. And they're also a natural source of serotonin, which promotes relaxation and helps curb your appetite. You can get these things peeled. Fat folks and if you're smart don't get it get them in the shell if you don't have to if you don't want to deal with the pain in the ass shelling them but a handful about an ounce or 28 grams of shelled pistachios packs as much sleep promoting melatonin as a dietary supplement at only 160 calories a milk-based smoothie supplies protein for muscle repair and tryptophan, which is used to make sleep-promoting brain chemicals. An eight-ounce smoothie with low-fat milk and pineapple packs only about 160 calories. But if you're going to watch that Amazon special I mentioned a couple episodes back, you're going to not want to have anything dairy ever again. <laughs> you're going to follow his diet. Uh, goji berries are an antioxidant-rich snack, which may aid to good sleep one fourth cup is about 40 grams of them are of these dried berries has only 150 calories they're good they're like chewing on some cranberry dried cranberries and stuff tastes a lot like that uh crackers and cheese combined uh Give a give you a protein and carbs that support steady blood sugar levels and the production of sleep supportive brain chemicals. What's more, four crackers and one stick of 28 grams of reduced fat cheese pack only 150 calories. Again, a lot of these things are things you're not going to want if you're on certain diets. Uh, just about any cooked whole grain can be combined with milk or other toppings for a healthy late late night oat snack. Melatonin in grains like oats and barley support sleep, 
and three-quarter cups of cooked oatmeal made with wa water only has 124 calories. Some trail mix ingredients such as walnuts and dried cranberries contain sleep-promoting melatonin. A one-fourth cup serving averages 173 calories depending on the mix. There's a lot of them that are terrible for you. It's best to make your own. Measure your trail mix portions to avoid excess calories because you'll sit there and keep picking at them if you don't have them pre-bagged or something. Yogurt is a good source of protein, which helps curb hunger. It's also rich in calcium, which has been linked to better sleep. Six-ounce container of plain non-fat yogurt is only 94 calories. I suggest doing Greek yogurt. Or make sure you have decent yogurts that you're choosing from. Some of them are terrible for, very terrible for you. A small whole grain tortilla is a blank slate for a healthy late night snack at only 94 calories. Just add some nutrition to nutritious toppings or fillings such as hummus, some leftover chicken breast or something like that. Some veggies in there. Uh, pumpkin seeds are rich in magnesium and tryptophan, which may help support sleep, particularly particularly when eating with carbs such as raisins or fresh fruit. A one-ounce serving of pumpkin seeds at seeds has 146 calories. That's surprising. I never knew about the tryptophan in pumpkin seeds, and I did it for a while. And I know tons of people that do it every day at work. Those a handful of pumpkin seeds in their mouths just suck on them spit out the shells pick at them and stuff uh, yeah it's like surprising you're drinking coffee in the morning and you have a handful of pumpkin seeds and you just go to work and don't realize that they're they have tryptophan in them that's that's a surprise uh green soybeans known as edamame are a good source of protein, including the amino acid tryptophan. Buy them fresh, frozen, or dry roasted. One half cup of fresh edamames has 150 calories, while dry roasted edamames are higher in cal calories. So. You may not think of eggs as a snack, but they're quick to cook and a good source of protein, which helps tame your hunger. One large egg has just 72 calories. I love hard boiling dozen to two dozen eggs at a crack and just leave them in the fridge, make deviled eggs and stuff during the day. And then at night, I'll just take a one or two hard boiled eggs and have it for a late night snack if I got the munchies. Fresh strawberries are great when you want a visually satisfying large serving for a few calories. Pairing them with brie provides protein to help satisfy hunger longer uh, one cup 166 grams of strawberries with one ounce 28 grams side of brie has only 147 calories that actually sounds good right now i could go for munching on some strawberries and brie uh yeah those are some ideas just snack ideas if you, you're like me and you got a late night munchies with doing the intermittent fasting and stuff it's like from 
I usually try to go from 10 p.m. at night to till at least two o'clock in the afternoon or longer. And so at like nine, nine o'clock at night, that's when I got my late night munchies and I like to have something before I do my cutoff. So those are some great ideas. Try them out. And I'm going to end this with a little old weird news to give us a little humor in our, our life. A guy superglued his face to his girlfriend's foot, <laughs> and it took three hours to separate him. That's one hell of a fet footish. <laughs> fet footish. Foot fetish. Yeah, I better quit while I'm ahead. My verbalization is going out the window so we're done with this one we got part two done of the mris yes have a great weekend guys and gals and be good to each other beat the shit out of this monster kick its ass rub its face in the dirt stomp on it spit on it kick it in the ribs and Keep the pain away as much as you can with whatever ways you can. Take care of yourself, and we will talk to you again soon.